0: This podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.bogosity.tv, your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.bogosity.tv now. Welcome to the Vigocity Podcast for the week of March 26, 2017, the podcast that sells instant water. This is your host, Shane Killian, and joining us this week is Jacob Morris. Jacob, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Sorry about canceling last week, but I'm just getting over something very nasty that took away my ability to speak. I've still got it a little bit. But with the exception of Idiot Extraordinaire, I'm covering the same stories I was going to cover last week, as they were just too good not to talk about. So, let's finally cover the news of the bogus. So, an update on the WikiLeaks release, probably the first of many. A lot of what's in this first leak is hacking tools to take advantage of zero-day exploits, and I really like how Wikileaks is handling this. Wikileaks founder Julian Assange said in a press conference, quote, After considering what we think is the best way to proceed, and hearing these calls from some of the manufacturers, we have decided to work with them to give them exclusive access to additional technical details we have so that fixes can be developed and pushed out. Once this material is effectively disarmed by us, we will publish additional details about what has been occurring. Yeah, that sounds good. Although security researcher Brian Krebs did point out, quote, even just the documentation on the CIA's hacking tools that was released this week may offer curious and skilled hackers some strong pointers about where to look for unpatched security flaws that could be used to compromise systems running those software products. It will be interesting to see if and how often security researchers and bug hunters going forward credit the WikiLeaks CIA document dump for leading their research in a direction they hadn't before considered. And this has to do with the long-standing discussion in security circles. There are really two sides, both of which have a lot of merit. One side says people have the right to know their systems are vulnerable. The other side says that doing so just advertises the vulnerability so that more people will be able to exploit it and put us in greater danger. The happy medium the industry seems to have hit on is to notify the software maker of the flaw and give them a reasonable amount of time to fix it before disclosing it to the public. Google actually gives them 90 days, and WikiLeaks is doing the same thing. They say they have 90 days to fix these. And WikiLeaks in the past has always been about giving people the information they need now, now, now. So the fact that they're withholding the details on this as well, you know, giving the manufacturers time to fix the flaw before fully exposing it, that seems to be a confirmation that the, this happy medium really is the right way to go. That seems to be the consensus now. Oh, yeah. It's good. Yeah. And keep in mind that this isn't just about exposing what the CIA has been doing. The flaws exist. They have existed. They're there for anyone to discover. And it doesn't look like the CIA discovered these zero days on their own. They probably acquired them from elsewhere, presumably hacker groups, so there probably are other hackers that know about these flaws. We have to worry about our own government, but we also have to worry about foreign governments and independent hacker organizations. Probably even more so since we have less of an ability to defend ourselves from them in court. So, congrats to Wikileaks for doing right by the public and software makers. Also, just to let you know, Wikileaks released its second dump yesterday as we record this, so hopefully there'll be info on that next week. It seems to be largely about macOS and iOS, so stay tuned. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? Well, if you ever needed any confirmation that what our government is doing is not about protecting us, look no further than this story. The Department of Justice and the FBI have just confirmed that they would rather drop a child porn case and let child abusers go free than give up the Tor exploit they used to catch them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's black and white there. In the case of United States versus Jay Mashad, most of the evidence against the alleged child pornographer came from information that federal investigators had gathered by exploiting a vulnerability in the encrypted network TOR. Federal Prosecutor Annette Hayes, filing a motion on behalf of the DOJ, said, Because the government remains unwilling to disclose certain discovery related to the FBI's deployment of a Network Investigative Technique, or NIT, as part of its investigation into the playpen child pornography site, the government has no choice but to seek dismissal of the indictment. In other words, they're letting an accused child pornographer whom they clearly believe is guilty go free rather than give up their ability to go after others on the dark web where presumably they'll have to let them go for the same reason. Wait, did they really think this through? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it seems like they've backed themselves into a corner there. If they have to reveal the exploit to prosecute and they would rather keep the exploit than prosecute, then what's the point of any of it? Well, I guess they're just going to have to let a lot of child blusters go. <laughs> I don't know. And, I mean, they had another option to them. They could have sought a protective order so that the defense could have examined the evidence without making it public, but they refused to do even that much. Instead, they decided to drop charges rather than reveal their precious secret to even a single person. They didn't think it through. Yeah. They're calling for a dismissal without prejudice, which means the case can be refiled as long as it's within the statute of limitations, which in this case is five years from the date of the offense, so they may be figuring that in that amount of time, this vulnerability will no longer be applicable, so then they can disclose it and prosecute him, and so much for speedy and public trials. That's what worries Stanford Law School Center for Internet and Society cryptography fellow Rihanna Peppercorn, quote, It's an interesting avenue to think about whether or not we might start seeking longer gaps between an alleged offense and an indictment if the government is trying to sort of run out the clock on the utility of its hacking methods. It does seem to provide this moral hazard that if the government believes they can get away with it, that would seem to incentivize them to push the envelope. And my sense is that the government is continually pushing the envelope in what kind of surveillance it will ask courts to authorize. And in the past, the DOJ was able to get around these requirements to reveal the information about their NITs, even though they're absolutely supposed to do under the Constitution. Or they strong-armed the person into pleading guilty, but in this case, they relied on a very controversial kind of warrant that allows them to use secret malware to hack into the computers of suspects, innocent third parties, or even crime victims, and in November, Congress actually expanded their power to do so. So, please, whatever you do, don't go thinking that any of this is about keeping us safe. If you're on the Wi-Fi in the coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? And now another story on why innocent until proven guilty is crucial not only for our justice system, but for social life as well. This is a case where Nigel Lang has had his life permanently damaged by a TYPO. Police raided his South Yorkshire home, seized all of his electronic devices, and had his life next to ruined on allegations of sharing indecent images of children, all because of a single extra keystroke that occurred when authorities in Hertfordshire were inquiring about an IP address, and they made a single extra keystroke by mistake, which means they put in the wrong IP address. The ISP came back with Lang's physical address, which matched this mistaken IP address purely by chance. To make matters worse, the IP was actually registered to his wife, but her electronics weren't seized. Well, no, you're not going to go out through the woman for child porn cases. Yeah, that wouldn't be politically correct. So, Lang managed to get out on bail, but social services forbade him from living at his family home and not having any unsupervised contact with his son. Did I figure out the error yet? They did eventually, but his nightmare went on for a year before anyone would entertain any possibility of someone having made a mistake. He decided to file a complaint, and he was contacted by an officer who questioned if he really needed to complain. And did this arrest have any impact on his life? I mean, really? Yes! Yeah! I mean, you make the guy out to be a pedophile, forbid him from living in his own home or seeing his son, and you're really wondering if he's suffering as a result? I mean, this is how little regard the police have for the lives of the people they arrest. So Lang's complaint led him to the truth about the IP address, which, as I said, originated with the Hertfordshire Police, not South Yorkshire. Turns out, the Hertfordshire Police didn't do any real investigation. They just had an IP address, and we've already covered several stories about why making assumptions about originating IP addresses is incredibly dangerous, because it might have been his wife. I mean, it was her IP address anyway. It might have been someone else piggybacking on his Wi-Fi. But they felt justified in swearing out a warrant. And even with that, even with that knowledge, they rejected Lang's complaint since the officers were acting in good faith. No! It was just a typo. They just made a little mistake. Then get this shit off of them. (laughs) I mean, this is how difficult it is for people in pretty much ANY country to issue complaints about the police. It took the Hertfordshire Police three years to admit they made a mistake. Lang managed to obtain this admission in writing, and he got a settlement for $60,000, which is a pittance compared to the damage it cost to his life, but sadly a lot more than most innocent people get after being railroaded by the police. The bogus charges are finally being expunged, years later. Lang says he's waiting for an apology, but that will probably never happen, even though this will likely continue to haunt him for the rest of his life. Because of one typo. And no accountability among the police. Now let's desaturate this week's Biggest meter, And this week it goes to Harvard University for a laughable infographic entitled Five Ways to Spot and Stop Fake News, which, taken with their accompanying list of fake news sites, really just translates to, only believe news that has a leftist slant. I remember this one. Their infographic says, quote, Consider the source, strange domain names, Or websites that end in L-O are signs you should be wary. Really? Really? Yeah, I wonder if bogosity.tv constitutes a strange domain name. I wonder if Milo is a strange domain name. (laughs) I know. Check the URL. Fake news sites will often use a web address designed to make it look like a real site ending in .com.co. Yeah, because that's how other countries often do .com addresses and they're just as legitimate as any other website, has nothing to do with whether the content on them is legitimate. Fake news websites may use sloppy or unprofessional design and overuse all caps. Now, this is funny, because the next one begins, if a story really makes you very angry. And the funny thing about that is, the comparable part in the accompanying Google Doc says really angry and puts it in all caps. Don't trust people to use all caps. We're using all caps. Someone should have proofreader work. (laughs) But, yeah, if it makes you angry, that's an indication that it's fake and not at all an indication that something you believe might be wrong. Others are to get a second opinion and to use one of their browser plugins, which are every bit as biased as the list we're about to talk about. And, I mean, here's the thing. Not a single one of those is an indication that there's any kind of fake news. Not one. If you want a good way to do that with news or with anything else, I'm linking to Carl Sagan's Baloney Detection Kit, which is actually from his book The Demon Haunted World, which is an awesome book that you should all go read, but I'm linking to this chapter in the show notes. Here's a basic summary. See if there's independent confirmation. See if there's debate by knowledgeable proponents of all points of view. Ignore arguments from authority. Indeed, there are no true authorities, at best, only experts. Think of alternative hypotheses. Don't become attached to a hypothesis just because it's yours. Quantify whenever possible. Make sure every link of a chain of argument works. Use Occam's razor, and always see if a hypothesis can be falsified. And that's how you really do it, and the difference between the baloney detection kit and Harvard's crap is night and day. Harvard actually encourages argument from authority, drawing conclusions from appearances, And, although these didn't exist when Carl was writing, I'm sure he would agree that the Baloney Detection Kit is something you can only carry in your mind, not install as a browser extension. So, for this Google Doc, the main event here is a big long list of fake news sites. Now, some of these are actual fake news sites, which are sites that pretend to be Bloomberg or Washington Post or something, but with a different top-level domain, so Someone just registered a similar domain name and pretends to be them, so that's actual fake news. It's also nice to see sites like Natural News and Food Babe on the list. The problem is who else is on the list. They actually list antiwar.com as biased and unreliable. Biased against war, maybe? Ah uh, hello, but I mean, there were a few sites that took down the propaganda that's been peddled by our government and the news media at least since the Iraq war, antiwar.com's been doing this since like the 90s. But of course, that very same document claims, quote, watch out if known or reputable news sites are not also reporting on the story. So I guess they want the statist warmonger news sources to be the only ones considered reputable. Also making the list, Tom tomwoods.com, freedomworks, judicial watch, oathkeepers, shadow stats, Zero Hedge and Citizens United. there be a few libertarian sites on there. I don't know what's yeah, you also have the Daily Caller, Breitbart, and Washington Examiner in the list. And although they aren't perfect, they aren't worse than anyone else. But you know who else is listed? WikiLeaks and the Intercept. Ah. Yeah. Notably absent from the list are leftist fake news sites like Salon, the Daily Mail, Vox. HuffPo, and Mother Jones and Mother Jones. If it's a conservative site, they likely included it. If it's libertarian or libertarian-leaning, they likely included it. If it's anti-war, they likely included it. Yet, the people who lied to you about the Ford Pinto, and the Iraq War, and the Killian memos, and nukes in Iran, and Benghazi, and Gamergate, and campus rape, and the gender pay gap, all the way to the current Trump-Russia conspiracy theory, well, they're just A-OK. See, setting I mean, come on. This is about stigmatization so that the only real news left is news that fits their bias. And then they wonder why we don't trust them. So all of that makes Harvard University this week's biggest bogot emitter. Bogosity.tv gives you great ways to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to amazon.bogosity.tv and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. Or go to prime.bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes. Borrow Kindle books and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to kindle.bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited. Read over one million books, and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. Or go to homedopagocity.tv to try Amazon Home Services. Over a thousand different services from quality, hand-picked pros, from house cleaning to equipment and furniture assembly, plumbing, electrical, painting, and other handyman services, all backed by Amazon's Happiness Guarantee. And as always, check the right-hand side of the podcast page for special Amazon deals. AND NOW IT'S TIME TO THROW A PENALTY FLAG AT THIS WEEK'S... IDIOT Idiot extraordinaire. extraordinaire. And this week it goes to eBay, which, despite being a major e-commerce site, hasn't always made the best decisions regarding their user security, including, for the longest time, not allowing long passwords and other things like that. But one thing they DID do right was when they introduced a hardware key fob that you could use as a second factor for authentication until now because they're discontinuing it in favor of a TEXT MESSAGE. I kid you not. Oh God. So in 2007, PayPal, which was then part of the same company as eBay, offered for a one-time $5 fee this little football-shaped thingy which would give you a different six-digit number every 30 seconds. It's basically a hardware version of the time-based authenticators like Google Authenticator that have become so popular. It's incredibly secure, but eBay is discontinuing it. Now, that part I can actually understand, because they farmed it out to VeriSign, and they have to keep paying VeriSign every time one of their users uses it. And I wouldn't be complaining at all if they discontinued this in favor of Google Authenticator, or, more accurately, HOTP, which is the Internet Standard Protocol it uses. But they're not. They're switching to text messages even after NIST released new authentication guidelines recommending against this method because SMS messaging isn't in any way secure. I mean, it's better than not using any second factor at all, but it's easily intercepted by anyone who's determined enough to do so. It's not available if you're in a phone reception dead zone at the time. SMS itself is unreliable. Sometimes it makes several minutes, if not longer, to get the text. And it's just too easy for someone to call your carrier and pretend to be you losing your phone and requesting a new SIM card. It would have to be a targeted attack, but the security vulnerabilities, together with the reliability issues, make it much less desirable than other readily available options. eBay spokesman Ryan Moore told security researcher Brian Krebs, quote, As a company, eBay is committed to providing a safe and secure marketplace for our millions of customers around the world. Our product team is constantly working on establishing new short-term and long-term eBay-owned factors to address our customer security needs. eBay continues to work on advancing multi-factor authentication options for our users with the end goal of making every solution more secure and more convenient. We look forward to sharing more as additional solutions are ready to launch. I'm calling BS. HOTP is easy to implement and incredibly secure And there are a number of apps users can use to select it, not just Google Authenticator. Personally, I like Authy, that's A-U-T-H-Y. That gives you things like phishing and man-in-the-middle protection, and it can also talk directly with the site so you don't have to actually give it the number it generates. And you can even give it a nice, beefy password and back up all of your sites with it. The LastPass people also have LastPass Authenticator, which gives you other advantages like push notifications. I mean, we're talking about really mature technology here, and as predominant as eBay is, it's inexcusable that the only form of multi-factor authentication that they offer is one that NIST said specifically not to use. And that's why eBay is this week's Idiot Idiot Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Wraps up this They Toss Us Away Like Yesterday's Jam edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv This podcast depends on you to keep going so please donate using the links on the website or the QR codes in the thumbnail or become a patron at patreon.bogosity.tv and get the podcast and YouTube videos early and without ads or promos. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Jacob Morris for joining me. Welcome, Shane. Until next time, here's a quote from Jeffrey Fisher. There is a sacred realm of privacy for every man and woman where he makes his choices and decisions, a realm of his own essential rights and liberties into which the law, generally speaking, must not intrude. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Literatives 4.0 International License. want answers to creationist claims against evolution would you like to know more about evolution yourself or even engage creationists more directly with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific but creationism is not, based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific, and never be taken in by creationists again.